pray together. Lord, you are indeed glorious. No power, no authority can stand in your presence without bowing. And you've spoken clearly in your word to us. We turn our hearts now to you, Father. We submit our minds and our wills to you. We ask that that you would speak clearly to your people. We're so grateful that you've not left us alone. You haven't wound up this majestic creation and walked away from it. No, you are, you are sustaining it right now. Ruling over all that you have made. And so we can say, from the heart, let your kingdom come and your will be done here in this place now. Speak, Lord. Your people are listening. Amen. God displays His splendor in creation. Creation is a display of God's majesty and splendor. God also displays His his majesty and His protective grace that He gives to the weak. His tender care for those that cannot defend themselves, those who are dependent children whom He appoints to rule over His creation through Christ the King. This is a gorgeous psalm, is it not? O Lord, my Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. This is a kind of glory, a particular kind of glory, a little different than the kind of glory we've been talking about in the previous weeks, the kind that comes up out of God's being. This is a kind of glory that is displayed or reflected in all that God has made. It's derivative of Him, yes, and He is sustaining it, but it's different from Him. It's as though all of creation is a, is a mirror that reflects back God's glory for those who will see it. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how holy, how high and noble and lifted up is your character reflected back to us in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. This psalm comes after an intense plea for deliverance in Psalms 3 through 7. Those laments were intense. And now we have a a pause, a little bit of a break in the Psalter as we work our way through to stand in adoration and in amazement at this public display of God's majesty and splendor. God demonstrates really impressive power in creation, does he not? How high and lofty and noble is our God. How powerful is our God in the display of his majesty and all. It's awe-inspiring. There isn't a person alive who hasn't looked at a beautiful sunset or a, a body of water glittering with the light reflecting off of it or, or seen a bird in flight uh, or, or seen a child toddle across a, a, a field wobbling along and, and not had a sense that there is a creator. Now, unfortunately, we humans have a a tendency to suppress that truth, as Paul says in Romans 1. We tamp it down. We suppress it. We layer it over with with hardness 
with sin, with rebellion, with a desire to live life our own way, and so we, we, we get detached from our Creator. And we fail to see that behind all of His handiwork, there is a, there is a Creator who requires a response from us, a response of worship. And David, I imagine, is, is reflecting back on the times that he spent out in the fields looking at God's majestic glory displayed in the sky. Have you ever been far away from a city where you don't have any interference? Perhaps you've been up north in Canada or even in northern Maine. You can see the the aurora borealis, the northern lights. It's really quite a light show if you've ever been that far north. It's amazing. Or if you've been out on the ocean where you can see literally stars from horizon to horizon in all directions, you see this glittering heaven. I imagine that David the shepherd boy saw quite a display of God's splendor as he was guarding the flock out there as a a boy. Reflecting on the promise given to Abraham that the people of God would, would be so numerous that they would outnumber the stars of all the heaven. Surely this is rattling around in this poet's imagination as he reflects on how how majestic God's glory truly is. Creation reflects His glory. I remember once when I was in Africa in the the mountains of Sudan. I had the privilege of being flown over by my church to teach a class for two weeks, and some of the students walked two or three days to attend that class. They walked to hear God's Word explained to them through a translator. We taught the entire Old Testament in two weeks. Boy, talk about putting on your seatbelt and and, and, and water skiing across a lot of God's revelation. We did our best. But at night, I would go out, and in this mountain, there, were, there was no civilization, no city for miles and miles and miles and miles. And, and I reflected there, standing on that mountain, on that great promise given to Abraham that, that God's people would be more numerous than the stars themselves. And there I was, in a country that uh, is in a battle against I- I- Islamic in, in encroachment on its own uh, culture in the south, fighting for its very existence as a people and as a church and as a nation, and seeing God at work fulfilling that promise made to Abraham. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, as you call a people to yourself from every nation, tribe, and tongue, more numerous than the stars, your glory is above the heavens." This display of splendor results in in praise from the redeemed heart, from those who can see it. And God promises protection even for children and infants. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, from the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise. You've established praise. You've commanded praise. You've ordained praise from the lips of children and infants because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, as we extol the excellency of this great creator God who has fine-tuned this universe perfectly for human existence, we also see an amazing thing, an amazing truth buried here in this verse. And it's this. God uses weak things to confound the mighty. God works through things that appear weak, and that are dependent in order to shame those 
that believe they are, are wise and self-sufficient and can live independently of this great creator. He hears the desperate cries of the weak, those who long for God's rule in their lives, who know their need, who are innocent. Yes, God guards over them. God does not have to use powerful people. God does not have to use uh, powerful speakers to accomplish his will. He can use the simple cry of an infant, of a toddler, a totally dependent creature, there in his mother's arms, there in his father's arms, an an infant in the faith, someone who isn't strong and, and mighty and courageous, someone who is weak with a childlike heart, can cry out to our good God and cry out with faith knowing that from the lips of children and infants, God has ordained praise. And he enters into that protective relationship with them to silence the foe and the avenger. The Apostle Paul said as much in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. He said, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Are you an infant today in your heart? Do you have that childlike heart that Jesus commends? Out of the hearts of infants, God has ordained praise. A display of splendor is also seen in the crowning of a ruler in verses 3 through 8. David continues, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, imagine those, those amazing, this is personification obviously, but this is beautiful personification, attributing to God human qualities of, 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 of fingers, the artist, the craftsman, the artisan crafting and shaping the universe with those amazing fingers. Can you imagine with me this morning the, the amazing fingers of God shaping the stars and putting them in place? The moon. What is man, David says, that you are mindful of him? The son of man, that you care for him. Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now God has ordained praise from the mouth of infants and children and those who are of childlike heart. And he displays his splendor in in crowning a ruler, humanity, to be in a special place in the earth. Unfortunately, because of the encroachment of sin and rebellion and evil, our world has become really rather chaotic and stained with sin and rebellion. Just think with me for a moment of the director of the Fertility Institute of Los Angeles and New York City, a Dr. Jeffrey Steinberg, who has for several years offered a fertility procedure allowing affluent couples to choose their baby's gender and sex selection. Some refer to it as gender side. 
outlawed in many countries, in most countries, but legal in the United States. And so they come. They come from England. Politicians where it's outlawed in, in England have come. They're some of his best customers, he says. He has treated thousands of couples from England and India and Europe and China and Australia. 142 other nations coming to the great city of Babylon to have their procedure. Steinberg recently told the London Evening Standard that he's helped hundreds and hundreds of people charging them $45,000 or more for a package deal, including plane tickets and a nice hotel. God takes the weak things that he has created and has ordained praise to come out of the mouths of infants and babies. Dr. Steinberg considered also adding to his bag of, of tricks a, a procedure to choose your child's eye color and hair color as well. But because of a strong, God-centered people, a pro-life outcry, he nixed the idea. Verse 6 continues. You made him a ruler of the works of your hands, this, this special creature that you've designed. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swim the paths of the sea. Verses 3 through 8 show us what God originally intended which has become, unfortunately, twisted and marred and stained by our sin and our rebellion. God originally crowned men and women with glory in the garden. He gave them honor in the garden. He gave them a job to do in the, in the garden. And he gave humanity a, a, a perfect place to work and to tend, to be both masters and managers under God, to rule and reign under his kingship. And Adam and Eve were given both the capacity and the commission to rule in God's place, sort of like little kings and, and queens over creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 tells us that we have been formed and fashioned and designed by this creator whose creation displays his majesty and splendor in the image of God. Now, if, if you know a little bit about ancient Near Eastern studies, and I know very little, but I'm, I'm here to share it with you this morning, that in the ancient world, the king was a visible representative of a deity, most, most often in, in all the various nations surrounding the people of God. And so they would build a statue, a, an idol to that god, and oftentimes that statue would be in the shape or form of the, the, the current ruler who was meant to be a representative on behalf of the god that they worshipped. And Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is saying, our, our, our reality, our, our true, authentic 
God is, is, is totally different than that. And that we as his created beings are meant to be in right relationship with him, reflecting his image in all the earth. Humanity is endowed with authority to rule, authority to have dominion over all creation as God's representatives, as God's vice regents. Not just special kings, but but all of humanity. Every person ever created in the image and likeness of God has that, that, that crown of authority and rulership because they've been created in the image of God. Now, being created in the image of God means a couple of things. Very quickly, it means that we have a capacity of relationships. We have the ability as male and female to relate to one another, just as God has the ability to communicate and to relate. Yes, we've been given a mind, we've been given reason, but there's a a dimension that's beyond just the rational that sets us apart from all the rest of creation. It's, It's a capacity to relate. The image of, of, of God is, is seen also in our ability to, to have moral reasoning, to understand right from wrong, to communicate with language, to have love and, and to enter into commitments and covenants, to have a creative ability and, and to be able to celebrate that creative ability, understanding that that too is derived from God. This is what it means to be formed and fashioned and, and shaped in the image of God. We've been endowed with a special authority to to rule the earth as God's representatives and and vice regents. And in so ruling, we do do it in his place, in his stead. Humanity is a special creature set apart from all the other creatures. Now on that day, that sixth day of creation, humanity, man and male and female were made And animals were also made on that day. We are creatures too, but we have a special place in God's divine order. And we were designed to display his glory at the apex, at the height. Humanity is God's special creation to reflect his special glory and to display his majesty. And yet we have spent Thousands of years marring that image, destroying that image at every turn. But God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. God is still working out of those original architectural plans, that that original plan that was in his mind is still being worked out. Sin will not thwart his plan. Creation may be cursed. Creation may be chaotic, but God will still work out his, his plan. And sin has caused our rulership of God's creation to be rather dismal. Creation itself is, is not fully in humble submission to mankind. It's, it's, it's a little rebellious itself. But God's plan is being worked out. And in the incarnation, God coming into mortal flesh... In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, without being able to divide those, those natures, God came into flesh. And where the first Adam failed, the second Adam showed up. And he is the one that the psalm speaks of. 
He is the one who's made a little lower than the angels. Jesus Christ is the ideal man who fulfills this verse. He completes it. He pictures it without distortion, without stain, without wavering, without fuzziness. He is the ideal man. He is the king. He is the second Adam sent to set things right. We ourselves are infants We're frail, we're weak, we're insignificant people oftentimes, and yet God is intervening on our behalf, working out his plan, drafting us into that plan as we come under our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lewis captured this brilliantly, C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful children's story, The Chronicles of Narnia. In The Magician's Nephew, he describes a fellow uh, from the country who had to move to London to make a living. He was a, good, he was a good, solid chap from the country, simple, honest. In London, his heart became a little hard. His, his accent changed. He became a, a more of a hardened city guy, forced to take his, his precious horse, Strawberry, and attach him onto a, onto a carriage and, and, and be a cabbie in order to, to feed his family. His name was Frank. He wasn't much of a fellow. He was a, a, a weak guy, a, an insignificant man. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a king. He wasn't a prime minister or a, or, or a lord or, or, or wealthy. He was just a working man. One day, the evil queen Jadis jumped into his cabbie and, and took it over and crashed it and wrecked it and jumped onto his horse Strawberry, whom he loved, and and began beating the horse and and kind of going crazy. And all of a sudden, Frank uh, got swept up into this incredible story that he had no idea even existed. And he is magically, in the Chronicles of Narnia, transported to another world where he meets Aslan, the Christ figure in the story. And he becomes, in the story, a king. King Frank. He tells Aslan, I don't have much education to do this job. I'm not really well prepared to do this. Why would you choose me to be a king? Why would you choose me to to be a little lower than the angels, to to rule in your place, to be a a manager and a steward of, of this new world that you're creating here? Why? Because I can, says Aslan. And he takes the weak, the simple things of this world and, 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 and displays his splendor through them. And Frank becomes the first king of Narnia, the, the first Adam there. It's a wonderful story. I recommend it to you in the Christmas season and Thanksgiving season. No matter how frail you feel or insignificant you seem, God is intervening in history, to put his plan into place, to fulfill it and complete it, and he has put that plan in place in your life today. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You made us ruler over the works of your hands, and you've put everything under his feet, the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfills this psalm so beautifully. All flocks and herds, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. 
Let's pray together. And they sang a new song, gathered there around the throne, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, Lord Christ, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and and language and people and nation. Simple people, weak people, infants crying out to you. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And John says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea And all that is in them say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, we turn now to worship the Lamb that was slain. Restore your creation, Lord. Thank you for putting your plan into place in our lives. And we remember the great sacrifice that you made in order to accomplish your purpose and your plan. And so we remember today your sacrifice. Amen.